Well, good morning again, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everyone today. It's good to have some visitors with us. Uh, we are glad you are here. I hope you'll come back whenever you have the opportunity. Uh, I've seen a sign on another church someplace that said, all of us were visitors at one time. And that's true. It was the first time I was here. It was the first time Phil was here. First time Matt. Uh, all of us have been visitors at one time, and we find something that says, this is where I want to be belong. This is where I want to help others and work with God. So hopefully you'll consider making Lensley Avenue uh, your place to get together with other people who are following Jesus so we can do his will. Before we get started, I do want to hold this up. There's some of these on the backs of the pews in front of you in various places, and if not, they're in other places. We've put these out as a prayer request card. Now, if you want to have us take a concern, something that's on your mind to God in prayer, whatever that may be, you can scribble on one of these or any other piece of paper. If you don't have a piece of paper, there's plenty around here. And when the collection is taken, that's in these wicker baskets, just drop it in there. If you put your name on it, I'll be leading a prayer after that. If you put your name on it, indicate whether you want me to say your name or not. By default, sometimes I don't. I don't want to call out a name. But if you don't have a name on it at all, that's fine too. It's just we will be glad to go to God for something that's on your mind or on your heart. So these prayer request cards are one of your own creation if you want to scribble on something. Drop it in after the sermon, during the Lord's Supper, when the collection is taken, just drop it in. And I'll gather them together, if any, and we'll have a prayer before we end services today. So they're these blue-looking cards. We'll be having more of those out uh, in the future. This morning's topic I want us to think about for a few minutes. I've titled Persistence. And as you can see, uh, I could take this picture two ways. One of them is that that flower has been very persistent in trying to grow. But also, perhaps, I might have been not very persistent in getting rid of this thing growing up through my asphalt. So, persistence. Sometimes it takes more than once. It takes hanging in there. It takes repeated action in order to succeed. Persistence. And I think that's behind the basic uh, point, behind the verses that we'll be reading here today. It's still read before. So, let's go back to... Luke 18, 35 through 39. As Phil read, as he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. People needed help 2,000 years ago, the way many people need help today. And hearing a crowd going by, he, the blind man, inquired what this meant. And they told him, the blind man, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now notice he had to have known who Jesus was by his response that he makes. Because immediately he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him. Be quiet back then. Why don't you go somewhere else? Quit bothering us all. Quit crying out, making such a ruckus. Telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Did you notice cried is in that set of verses twice? There are two different words used here for cried, and we miss that in English. We just do. 
The first time, it's an ordinary loud shout to draw attention. Right? If you remember as a child, hearing in the other part of the house, Gene! I, I can hear it now. Right? I heard it a lot. That's what we're talking about. It's a loud shout to get attention. Normal shout. But the second time, the word is essentially a scream. It's almost an animal cry. This man wanted Jesus' attention. And the first time, it's Jesus. And when people are trying to shush him, it comes out from deep inside. Jesus! We'll come back to that. The word shows the utter desperation that this man's feeling. But what happens? Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Bring him up. Maybe there were too many people. Maybe Jesus couldn't fight through to go get to him. I always imagine in our 21st century, he's on, sitting on the curb. And, you know, there's parked cars. You know, I mean, you know, I mean there weren't parked cars 2,000 years ago. But he's sitting on the curb. Maybe it's a little difficult to get there. Bring him over. Bring him over. And when he came near, the blind man was brought near. He, Jesus, asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Recover sight seems certainly to imply he used to be able to see, and now he can't. And blindness came about for many different reasons. Uh, there's there's a, a fly that can spread blindness and sanitation and cleanliness was not as uh, widespread, perhaps, as it usually is today. And certain diseases can, can make people go blind, and there wasn't a local optometrist to help everybody out. Lord, please, let me get my sight back. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him, followed Jesus, glorifying God. Notice, he's glorifying God for what's happened to him. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. That is the reason why miracles are done. That's the reason why the apostles were doing some miracles. We talked some weeks ago about how Paul or one of the other apostles could have done some sort of miracle to help themselves. We talked about how Jesus, during the temptations, could have done a miracle to help himself. If you are the Son of God, command that these rocks be turned into bread. After all, you're hungry, so why not? And have some bread here. There's no place in the Bible where a miracle is done to benefit the person performing the miracle exclusively. It's not there. The purpose of miracles, I would argue the purpose of anything we do should be to glorify God. Don't look at me. Look at what God has done for this person, for these people, or done in this community. If it's drawing attention to you, I would, I would suggest maybe you're not doing it right. And so, unfortunately, you see this sometimes. You see some people who are very popular from a religious perspective, TV or elsewhere, and the focus seems to be on the person behind the microphone. That ought to be a, a chin-scratching moment. The focus needs to be on Jesus. The focus needs to be on God, not the one who is at best a servant delivering the message. The focus here in this story can be on Jesus, but the people are glorifying God for what Jesus was able to do to help 
this poor blind man. So it tells us two things in this first part we'll look at here this morning. Two things. I think it tells us something about the blind man. He was determined to come face to face with Jesus. Nothing was going to stop him. He refused to be silent and refused to be restrained. His sense of need drove him relentlessly into the presence of Jesus. My first question for me, my first question for each of us this morning is, do I, do I really have an intense desire to know Jesus? So I kind of pay lip service with Jesus. I'm over here using my side back. Hello. Or will I want to know Jesus and his word for me with an intense desire enough that almost an animal response of no. I need to be closer to God. I'm afraid if many people who were in church buildings today honest with myself, ourselves? That would be a hard question. That would be a hard question. Nothing's going to stop the blind man. He cries out twice. The second time is, no. I need Jesus to hear me because I need to talk with Jesus. <clears throat> Tells us something about Jesus as well. At the moment when the cry comes, Jesus is walking with all these people as they're coming into the city, and rabbis rarely got a break. Rabbis, when they were around people, were always talking about something, always trying to teach. Jesus used parables a lot. What's he talking about here? I don't know. But they weren't talking about the latest chariot races, I don't suspect. There's something that's going on talking about people, but... At the blind man's cry, he stops. Teaching is forgotten. For Jesus, it was always more important to act than to talk. Words always took second place to deeds or actions. Remember, if someone says, I know God, but hates his brother, Words are cheap. Words are easy. Words, at the same time, are important. That's why, hopefully, that's why I'm up here talking this morning. Words are important, but they serve no purpose at all if they don't drive me to some sort of action or change, and if they don't drive somebody to doing something different. Words by themselves are worthless. Jesus had a heart for people. Teaching some, maybe it's some big, huge theological thing, right? The most delicate argument Jesus ever makes, but yet when this blind man calls him, I'm out. What do you want me to do for you? We need to have a heart for people. And I'm so, so happy, so, so very, very happy that here at Lindsley Avenue, I believe that heart shows itself so many times. So many times. We need to be some sort of beacon, some sort of light that will shine and help others to make sure they don't forget the heart 
that ought to be focused on other people as well. Now, go back with me to the start of chapter 18. This is toward the end of Luke chapter 18. Go back with me to the start of chapter 18 for another passage. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. We're already told the purpose of the parable. We should always pray and not lose heart, right? That's giving away the conclusion before the parable, but that's okay. What parable does he teach? How does he describe it? How does he get the message across that we should always pray and not give up? Right? He, Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Didn't care about people, didn't fear God, didn't care about God or the people. And there was a widow in this city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. So the widow, this is a, a woman and, and men back then as well died sooner than ladies. But they often, when they got married, were much older than the bride. Women would get married many times at 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. And the man they married might be 25 or 30 with a life expectancy of 40. And many women died during childbirth. And so sometimes a man might get married at 25, child might be born, another child might be coming, and then the woman is dying. And the man would remarry, right? So there were lots of widows, is my point. What is this adversary, what has this adversary done to this widow? There's something, however, that she needs justice for. She needs some judge to make a ruling to enforce something because she's got a problem. For a while, the judge refused. Go away. Leave me alone. But afterward, he said to himself, he gets exasperated, right? Afterward, he said to himself, though, even though I don't fear God or respect Man, I don't care about people or God, even though none of this makes any real difference to me. But because she keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she won't beat me down by her continual coming. Maybe she'll leave me alone. Let's talk about the judge for a moment. This judge here is almost certainly not a Jewish judge being talked about here. An ordinary all ordinary Jewish disputes were taken before the elders, the older men who were in a synagogue, people who might sit at the city gate, and they would make decisions, hopefully, with a God-oriented perspective. Jewish disputes were not taken into the Greek or Roman public courts at all. And Paul talks about that a little bit when he writes in 1 Corinthians about how believers should really not go to court against other believers into pagan courts, into courts of law. You're going to argue and expose this between brothers and sisters who ought to love each other before people who don't believe in God? You're going to damage the cause of Jesus by not being able to figure something out, right? So this almost certainly is one of the paid judges who was appointed either by Herod, if it's a local judge, or by the Romans, not a Jewish judge. And such judges were notorious. Unless you had influence or money to bribe your way to a verdict, there was little hope of getting any kind of justice. 
Paul experiences this a little bit when he is in prison before Festus and Felix later on in the book of Acts. And he's hung, he hangs in jail for a long time. Apparently, maybe one of the two was hoping there would be a bribe to accelerate justice. So common, very common. This widow can't pay him. What does she have? She's a widow. She's probably poor and destitute. But when you think about that widow, she's the symbol of all those who would be poor and defenseless. Culture, the time. Women weren't working. Women didn't have resources. It was a cultural issue that your husband died, you're, you're really hurting here. Which is why Paul, later on in the New Testament, says believers need to take care of family and only let the church be concerned with widows who have no family. Right? So with no resources, she's not going to be able to bribe the judge and get justice. But she had one weapon. Persistence. Persistence. In the end, her persistence won the day. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to the elect, to the chosen, to his people who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Is he going to take his time bringing justice? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily in a hurry. What does this mean? What does it mean for us today? Jesus is saying that if an unjust judge can be weary, bludgeoned, and giving a widow justice, how much more will God, who is a loving father, give his children justice? Who cry out to him over and over and over. Did the widow go before the judge once with a, I could really use some help here? She kept going back, kept going back kept going back and eventually the judge can't take any more of this what is it you need okay stop coming near i wouldn't take this parable to mean say something to god once and then kick back and expect it to all no, I, I think you continue to take things to god over and over and over god wants to hear about it by the way the language in that the judge uses about being wearied, being, you know, quacked, as it were, by this widow woman, actually can mean to get a black eye. I don't think it means that he was worried that the widow was going to pound on his head. But the effect of coming over and over felt to him like getting pounded on the head. That's how persistent she was. So when we have a problem, when we have something we want to take to God, don't expect necessarily an answer on the first time you go to God in prayer. For one thing, we may not get the answer that we're looking for. Just because you go to God doesn't mean exactly you get what you asked for. Think about it as a parent here. Right? Four-year-old comes up to you. Mom, I want a machete. Sure. You give them this, and then they start walking toward their brothers and sisters. That's what they asked for. Does that mean the parent should give them the machete? No. Right? Many times a parent knows this is not what you need. 
be the same thing with God. God is not simply going to rubber stamp any request we make because God knows a whole lot more than we do. I've used this illustration before. We are terribly <clears throat> short-sighted. We see right here, this would be useful tomorrow. That's what I want. And God's like, you just don't understand. If you got this tomorrow, look what would happen to you a month, a year from now. We don't know the future. We don't know the future. And as parents, many times some of the biggest mistakes we make, we give in when we shouldn't. Well, God's not going to give in when he shouldn't. So perhaps if I'm praying over and over and over, I'm not praying for what's really going to be helpful to me. I need to pray in faith. I need to pray with wisdom. Don't be praying to God, Lord, give me a machete. Even if you're thinking it's just going to be to chop carrots. Maybe you're actually asking for something that's not going to be helpful. Even so, continue to go to God. Take your prayers and your requests to God persistently. Persistently. Only God really knows what's good for us in the long run. He does. I barely know what's going to be good for me later this afternoon, much less 5, 10, 15 years from now. That's part of why we, we really walk by faith. We have our hope and trust in God. We pray, we pour our hearts out to God, but God is the one who knows what will be best for us with a much longer term view. Now look. I suspect if you thought back, there may have been times you thought you wanted something and after time, over time, you're like, wow, I'm so glad that didn't happen. You need to remember that when I'm asking for something in prayer, when I go to God and it doesn't seem like it's coming. Maybe that's a sign that I don't need it, that I'd be worse off if I got it. Only not God knows what's good for us in the long run. And that's why I think Jesus said, don't be discouraged. This prayer is important. Go to God. Always be asking yourself, am I really praying for what I need? So after we have offered our prayers to God, always have in your heart, I love when Phil talks about this, always have in your heart the finish to that perfect prayer, not my will, but thy will be done. If I'm praying out of line if I'm really not praying with what's going to benefit me. It sure seems like it's what I want, but God, that's why I'm coming to you in prayer for this, but you know better than me. So if this is something you can grant to me, thank you, and please. But if this is going to be something that will be harmful to me, you know, Father, that's why I come to you in prayer. So my question for us this morning, are you, am I persistent seeking God not only in prayer but in my life or do I kind of stand up Jesus hey I'm over here do you have that kind of intense reaction to where nothing is going to stop you from getting to know God more better remember the blind man the two different words for pride he ended up getting what he needed because he, he just couldn't be held back, right? <clears throat> Do I feel that kind of need to have God?
God in my life? Do I? That's really the question for you this morning. If there's something that we can help you with that will help you know God better, know what he wants from you, or if you want to come back to God, we're more than glad to pray with you and for you. If you want to become a member of God's family, we can do that today. Come home to him now as we stand in this.